Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the word of God this morning. Or may we acknowledge it to be your word. And or may we take what has been said this morning from your word and or let it sink down into our ears. And Lord, I pray, Father, that what is given us today would be an edifying to your people. Lord, I pray there be one that hearing us today that does not know you as their Savior. That, Father, they would hear the message uh, that we preach and know that we have a God that can be trusted in. And Lord, I pray, Father, that would be the case. They would come to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, we ask you now to work in our midst. And we'll praise you for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated, of course. And then as we begin this, I want to remind you that the Bible tells us the Old Testament saints were given to us as an example or an example. They're given to us to make an example of how we should walk, sometimes examples of what we should do, and other times examples of what we should not do. Um, and in this text, we have a clear example of both what should be done and what shouldn't be done. Um, you know, when we look at these times that we find ourselves in, um, it is very easy for us to find a place of anxiety or frustration or fear. And uh, I, I just want to caution us this morning again by saying that God is in control. All throughout history, we see God's people in unbelievable circumstances, and yet God never ceases to be God. And circumstances that, quite frankly, you and I are not in right now. Uh, we are in uh, maybe uncertain times. We don't know uh, what the end of this virus is going to be. We don't know what the decisions of our government are going to be as far as the different uh, restaurants being closed and things of that nature. And all those give us pause. But let me remind you, we've been blessed. We have food in our cabinets. We have clothes on our back. We have a roof over our head. We have the comforts of home. But Elijah is prophesying a time that is going to be nothing even close to what we're going through. We're talking about a devastating time. He comes into this moment of proclaiming what God has told him to proclaim, and he's going to lay out some things that are going to happen. We see, first off, the divided kingdom that we're approaching here. Israel is the northern kingdom of the two kingdoms of Israel that have split in two. The nation of Israel has divided into Judea and Judah and Israel now. The northern kingdom never had a godly king. Never once did a godly king sit upon the throne. The closest to a good king would have been Jehu, and yet he was still a very wicked and prideful man. And we see Ahab coming to power and sitting upon this throne, and he marries the infamous Jezebel. Uh, Ahab tells us, the Bible tells us in 1629, that, the, that he did more evil than all that were before him. To this point, Ahab is the worst king that Israel has had to date. He's an abominable man. He has brought in the worship of Baal or Baal, and it's the, the god of the Canaanites that they had driven out. These Canaanite gods uh, that they were worshiping, that God had actually sent Israel in to drive out these false gods. And now Israel, the people of God, have adopted the worship of this false god, and Baal being a fertility god, and also the god who rides on the storm. It's an interesting thing that the prophecy here is about a prophecy of God shutting down the heavens and no longer allowing it to rain. That's no coincidence. We find often God willingly confronting the false deities head on. 
He doesn't go around uh, the bush. He doesn't uh, question how he's going to confront them. He runs right at it. And he said, you have a God of the storm. Let me show you who is the God of the storm. And he comes at it directly. He said, it will not rain for the period of three years. And he said, this is three and a half years. And he said, it's not going to rain. And, and he comes in with this message. Elijah, the name Elijah means God is, or the Lord is my God, whose God is the Lord. That's what his name means, whose God is the Lord. So what is his prophecy? Well, we, we don't hear much about Elijah before this moment. It's almost like all of a sudden, poof, here he is on the scene of biblical history, and he walks into the king's court. Uh, there's no announcement. There's no leading up to how he made it into this position. He's standing somehow or another before Ahab, and he gets an audience, and the first words out of his mouth, he says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Just Wow. Talk about a mic drop moment. And he walks out of the room. The word of the Lord came into him saying, the next passage is he's moving on to the brook Cherith. There's no explanation. He just looks at him and he said, as God is the God that we should be serving, it will not rain until my word comes to you again. And he walks out. There's not much of an explanation about what is going on here, but clearly God is confronting the sin of the nation of Israel. Amos and Hosea would be good background reading to this text here. As Amos and Hosea describe the apostasy of Israel. Now, let me, let me put it in perspective for a moment. All you have to do is back up 40 years and you get to the time of King Solomon. 40 years earlier and the temple is being built. 40 years earlier, and nation of Israel is at its high point. And no doubt the seeds of this destruction were sown in Solomon's reign, but it took just a 40 short years before the people who were declaring that God is Lord are now saying, Baal is Lord. And they're looking to Baal to give them rain, and they're looking to Baal to give them uh, fruitfulness. How quickly a nation can turn its back on God in just 40 short years. How quickly a man can turn his back on God in just a short amount of time. The songwriter aptly said it, prone to wonder, Lord, I lead it. And Israel as a nation is a picture of us as individuals of how quickly we wander from miracle to apostasy and miracle to apostasy. And the nation of Israel is doing the same thing. They see God miraculously working and then they apostatize and walk away from the God who has done the miracles. So we see an inspired message we see a bold preacher. Can you imagine standing in the king's court? And in, in the king's court, you stand there before the king, and you have to declare a message that says to him, by the way, your economy is going to collapse. By the way, your crops are going to fail. By the way, everything that you enjoy right now is going away, and your God that you say is going to save you will be brought to his knees. And he makes this prophecy with this declaration. He does so boldly. You see, this is a bold preacher. It's a disturbing prophecy. We see three and a half years of no rain. And of course, in an agricultural society with animals and livestock and all that goes on there, the economic crisis that would follow, the crop failures, no food means death, no water means death. And this is what he's prophesying, three and a half years. Let me remind you that man's systems, no matter how sophisticated or how powerful or how technologically advanced, none of them are any match for God. God is still in control. 
And man is frail in all of his might. He is frail in all of his wisdom. He is foolish. And man, when he runs from God, must acknowledge that God is still God. And God has a way of reminding us that he's still God. We not only see a bold prophet, but we see a praying prophet. We do not find prayer in the verses we read specifically. We find communication from God to Elijah and Elijah obeying what God has said. But we're told in the New Testament in James that he was a man subject to light passions and yet he prayed fervently. This is a man who called upon God and prayed. And so what do we find in this famine? What do we find in this drought that is coming? Let me just say a couple of introductory thoughts about a famine. Famine, first off, tests our faith. It tests our faith and it stretches our character. That's what a famine's going to do. And by the way, this is an opportunity for us to show that our faith rests firmly in the God of heaven. Our faith does not rest in medical science, though we're thankful for the blessings God has sent through that. But our faith rests in the God of heaven. For when all else fails, God is still God. It also stretches our character. No doubt if you've had your kids at home this week, all week, your character has been stressed at some point this week. Uh, Your temper has been stressed at some point this week. And wives, I'm sorry, if your husband's been home, we are definitely praying for you, okay? That is going to happen. And in those moments, and by the way, let me say this, as you're home, understand that that is the point of the enemy's attack. He would love nothing more than to see all kinds of sin taking place in the home because we're under the stress we're under. But let us rejoice in the Lord. Let me challenge you, as Elijah was a man of prayer, you be a person of prayer. Don't wake up in the morning and think, I have all day to pray. Pray in the morning. Pray in the afternoon, pray in the evening. Make the word of God a priority in your life and let it be what guides your day. We've all found these moments of testing. Faith tests our faith and it stretches our character, but what it also does, and we can all testify to this, it reveals our weaknesses and exposes our sin. Because in the stress of the moment, we find out where we truly trust, where we truly rest our hope in. We've all been on a swinging bridge at some point or another, and you're walking across the swinging bridge, and I always loved to do this when I was a kid and would do it even now if you were on a bridge with me. I would get to one side of the bridge, wait till you're in the middle, and grab the thing and shake it. And I'd love to see that person who just can't handle it, and it's like, don't do it, don't do it! You know, it's like the bridge is not going anywhere. But the first reaction is always an interesting thing, because what do they do? They reach out and grab something they trust. And in the moments when things are shaken... What we reach for first tells us what we trust. When we reach for technology, it tells us where our faith rests. When we reach for a person, it tells us where our faith rests. When we reach for comfort, it tells us where our faith rests. I don't know what struggles you may have, but do not let the indulgences of the flesh be the place that you reach for in the moment of stress. Let it be the word of God that we rest in. So Elijah finds himself here before the king. And so how then do we ground ourselves for a time of famine? We're just going to take some examples from the life of Elijah here. Let me give you these several things here. First off, I must know who God is. We must be clear on who the God we serve. He is a God who is able. As we open this up, as the Lord God of Israel liveth. He is Lord. He is God. And he is alive. 
And he makes it very clear as he stands before him, he's doing this in contrast to all the Baal worship going on and the sacrifice of children that was taking place and the abominable wickedness that was taking place in a nation who was called after the name of God. And he stands before him and he said, hey, let me remind you, the God of Israel is still alive. He's not slack. He has not shortened his hand. He is still able to save. He calls them out immediately. Elijah jumps onto the pages of Scripture here. And we can assume that he had not been just uh, doing his own thing for years before. But somewhere in the shadows, before Elijah comes to the forefront, Elijah had been walking with the God who lives. Elijah had been praying to the God who lives. And no doubt, many quiet nights, he wept over the sin of his nation. And now he has an opportunity to confront him, but he knows the God that he's serving. This morning, do you know the God you serve? You say, how are we going to know God? He's revealed himself in his word, and he's done so. If you want to know what God is like, look throughout the pages of Scripture and see his credit report. There it is. God will come through. He's come through for Moses. He came through for Elijah. He'll come through through Abraham. God will be faithful. We can rest in God. We can rest that he is faithful, and he is able, and he is willing to save. Let me say this, and he has purpose that is beyond our understanding. I don't know what God's purposes are. This morning, I don't know why we find ourselves in this situation, but we do know the one who does know why. And we can rest in the fact that God is doing what he's doing. So first off, if we're going to walk through this with faith, we must do so knowing who God is. Let me say this, I must know who I serve Understanding who God is is one thing. Let me say this morning, does he have your allegiance? Does he have your obedience? Elijah uses the phrase here, before whom I stand. And we're told here in one commentary, uh, it's told us in the Daily Study Bible series, he tells us this, before whom I stand. It's a claim to authority. It's a technical phrase used of a king's first or prime minister, his confidant and chief executive. Elijah is saying, hey, I've been commissioned by the God of heaven to come with this message. You see, his obedience is so clear here. McLaren reminds us, those we know uh, the path to God, we, those who know the path to God can find it in the dark. Elijah knew God. He knew how to get a hold of God. He knew a walk with God. He said, I stand and I serve him. Look at his obedience. His obedience is immediate. He goes to Ahab and proclares the message. He immediately goes to the brook Cherith when he's commanded to go there. He doesn't question. I can imagine you and I saying, hold on a second, God, you want me to go to the brook Cherith and, you know, just water to drink? I mean, don't you have any sweet tea? Um, and you want, you want who to bring me food? Ravens are going to feed me? God, don't you know ravens are unclean birds? I, I'm not going to take food from the hand of a raven. And yet we see no argument we see him immediately obeying and stepping out in faith. It's a full obedience. It's a willing obedience. It's a trusting obedience. Let me say this morning, we must not call him Lord if he is not Lord. Is he Lord this morning? Can we rest and say, he is the God I serve, and this is the mission we are on? You see, we're not called to obey God in the absence of fear, but in the presence of fear. Fear is not a reason to check out. Stress is not a reason to check out. Uh, it is faith when I can, it is not faith when I can see how it's going to work out. 
If we can see the end of the game, we're not operating in faith. But it's in the moments where God has veiled the future. And by the way, regardless of our ability to plan, our future is always veiled. Because you don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. And I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. And we never have. And when the future is veiled, it is in these moments that we step out in faith and we demonstrate to a world around us that is shaken by the circumstances and saying, hey, the same God who was alive five years ago when things seem to be peachy is alive today and I can trust that God and I can obey that God. We think of fear. Fear is a gift from God. It is a gift. By no, no mistake on that. Now, uh, you, you and I, we joked about the swinging bridge a moment ago and we talked about how that fearfulness, but really at reality, we're thankful for fear. We're thankful for the fact that we're aware of the fact that if you jump off a 30-foot building, it's going to hurt. And fear is a gift to keep us back from things that would harm us. Fear is a gift to, to teach us caution. But fear being a gift from God, no gift from God can be used to become God to us. Too often we take good gifts from God and we turn them into God's. We've done so with materialism. Good gifts from God become God's in our life. Or wealth and it becomes a God in our life. Or sexuality becomes a God in our life. Or indulgence of the flesh becomes a God in our life. And no matter what the gift is that is from God, it can become a God. And if you're not careful, you can let fear become a God. Because you're obeying fear, not obeying God. I think we can all testify to that. How many times have we been provoked to witness to someone? And instead of obeying God's provoking, we obeyed fear. And we let fear be the thing that ruled us in the moment. And so we didn't demonstrate that God was Lord. We demonstrated that fear was Lord. And too often, fear becomes the thing that grips us. We as Western Society dwellers, Americans that have so much and are blessed with so much, how often is our fear centered around the loss of possessions and comfort? And that's really what we fear. Let me challenge us this morning. Let's fear God above all things. Let's make a, a, a commitment this morning that God would be Lord. Let me say this morning, if we are going to go through the famine in a way that would bring honor and glory to God, we must know who God is. We must know that God, that I serve this God. We must know our message. We must know what the message is. And we ought to stay on message. Too often it's easy to get off message. You know, salvation is still the message for today. Salvation of the lost is the message for the day. The gospel is the hope of the church today. It always has been. It always will be. God is still good. He hasn't changed being good. Let's stay on message in Psalms 25 and 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. God is good. God is upright. And God is still interested in bringing sinners to repentance. So let's stay on message. Let's keep the message in front of us. You see, this morning, we cannot alter the message to please others, or to fit the circumstance. We must continue to preach the message. 
in the channels that we have opportunity in, and the means that we have. And man, I'm so thankful for all the work that has gone in to make it possible for us to continue to preach the gospel and to preach the word of God and to use these messages. And man, it has actually been much like a beehive around here, getting things set up and doing this and getting this in place. And I'm thankful for pastors all over the nation. And I've been in conference with dozens of pastors through video chats, and we've been talking. And what is the conversation? How can we keep getting the message out? How can we continue to preach and reach our people what are the means by which we can keep doing what we're supposed to be doing we spent time this last week talking with our deacon board and we were encouraging one another in that same role of how do we keep going in these moments and we want to keep on keeping on staying on message the main thing is still the main thing the main thing is still the plain thing and elijah brings the message it's not a popular message it's not a welcome message to the ones that are hearing it but it is still god's message let me say then finally this morning, I must know who provides. I must have my confidence in the one that provides. The Apostle Paul tells us, and we can quote the verse, can't we? By God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When we look at Elijah, what is the posture that we find here? The posture we have is a man who fears God and is humbled before him. And so therefore, he fears nothing else. Because when we are humble before God, we fear nothing else. You see, the posture in these moments of questioning provision or future is, should be, for a believer, a posture of humility. Not a posture of, we will try harder, we will make this happen, but God, you are in control. God, we want to be obedient to you. Several years ago, I had a man in my church in Ohio, and he spoke to me, in sincere heart, he said, Pastor, he said, how do I know when circumstances turn upside down against me, whether God's chastening me to get my attention or he's testing me to strengthen my faith? And I thought, oh, let me think on that for a minute. And I thought about that for a bit, and then it kind of dawned on me a few days later, I don't think it really matters because our response is the same. If God is chastening because of something I've done, then my response should be humility and confession. A confession that I am weak and he is strong, that I am sinful and he is holy. But this morning, if he's testing our faith, then the same response applies. I'm to humble myself and say, God, you are, you are strong and I am weak. God, you are holy and I am sinful. God, have mercy upon us. Our response is the same. Search me, O oh God, and know me. Search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me and let the response be the same. So wherever you find yourself this morning, make it a posture of humility. God is the one who provides. You see, this morning, I don't know how God always provides, but I know the who that does provide. We know he promised. We know he will never leave us or forsake us. When the prophecy came to the people of Israel, the effects of the famine had not been realized. Now think about that for a moment. Elijah leaves and he flees, and the Bible clearly tells us here that he's to go and hide himself. Why is he hiding himself? Because Ahab would like to kill him for speaking out. We find Elijah, on another occasion, his life is uh, uh, hunted by, Elijah, uh, by Ahab and then also by Jezebel later on. Elijah is not a nationally popular man at this time. And he's going to hide himself. But I can imagine what was happening in Ahab's court. And if you'll allow me a little license for a moment. This 
gristly prophet walks in with his bony finger and he says, it will not rain until I say it's going to rain. And he walks out, hides himself by the brook. And the counselors are coming along to the king saying, ah, don't worry about that guy. He's a crackpot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We got all kinds of this stuff. We got all kinds of animals in the barn. We got all kinds of food in the barns. We're good to go. Fresh fruit. Everything's good. Don't worry about it. Two months in. Three months in. Six months in. Two years in. Where's that Elijah at now? Where's he at? And now what he was saying was relevant. You know, I, I want to remind you, church, that we depend upon a God whose message is always relevant, but the world doesn't always see its relevance. Noah was the most relevant man of his day, but nobody understood his relevance until it started raining. And when it started raining, everybody wanted to know what Noah had to say. And I challenge you this morning to stay trusting the God who provides, even when a world doesn't see it. And at these times, we as the church must continue to be the church, because as we're doing it, there will be people who want to know what the message is. And maybe there could be a revival of saying, we want to turn our hearts to God. And this morning, if it's just one, it's worth us being faithful. God who provides See, when the prophecy came, the effects of the famine had not been realized, but God provided for his, his man and his people. Dependence on God doesn't come with an escape hatch. Elijah went to the brook Cherith, and he settled himself down there. He was not depending halfway. He went, he sat by this isolated place alone and was fed by the ravens. I don't always get to know how God is going to do what he's going to do, but I can trust that God is going to do it. And I can rest in the God who provides. You know, I think in my personality, I look at moments of testing, and if I can work harder or work faster to get through it, that plays to me. Oh, we just need to work harder. We need to go faster. We need to put more energy into it. That'll solve the problem. But when the testing comes and there's nothing we can do, but wait. And I'm reminded of Brother Joe Nofter, our deacon. He's sitting in Children's Hospital with his son again and procedure coming on Monday. And there's nothing that human strength or pushing forward that Joe or Jessica could put out would make it better. It's just a time of waiting. And what it does is it turns us to the strength of the God who can. It causes us to depend fully upon Him. One commentary said, if providence calls us to solitude and retirement, it becomes us to acquiesce. When we cannot be useful, we must be patient. When we cannot work for God, we must sit still quietly for him. And sometimes God tells us to sit still. And I'm reminded of the psalmist, he said, be still and know that I am God. And every morning as the ravens brought food in, Elijah was reminded, the God before whom I stand. The God before whom I stand. So I would ask you this morning, what is God teaching? I'm not going to answer that question for you. I want to know what he's teaching you. 
What is God showing you? Maybe what, what is God moving us to do in the moment? Maybe it's just wait. Maybe it's to write that letter that you've been meaning to write or send that email that you've been meaning to send to a loved one, but you've never had the time to do it. Well, things have slowed down. Send the email. Make the phone call. Be the witness. Maybe this morning, God is revealing some distractions that has come into our life. And those distractions have been removed, and now we can look and see who God is. See, God has a plan here, and it's a three-and-a-half-year plan in our text that he is going to expose to Israel the wickedness and the falsehood of Baal. And when we get to the end of this story with Elijah, and Elijah comes to the climax moment as he's standing on Mount Carmel, Baal comes crumbling down, and God is seen to be mighty. God had a plan. But here's the thing I remember Remind you, Elijah didn't have those chapters. All he had was the word of the Lord to take the next step. And we have that this morning. We can take the next step for the glory of God. My hope next week is to come back and we're going to talk to you about what to do when the brook dries up and when ministry can happen in the midst of a famine. God is not done working at Shelby Bible Church over these next few months. God hasn't put a pin in ministry for the next several weeks. He hasn't said, parents, you're on a break for three weeks. As a matter of fact, he said, you know what? I think, parents, your kids need more of your influence right now. And so this is the call we have. This is the commission. We're not going to shirk our responsibility. We're not going to step back from it. We're going to step into it. And we're going to wait on God and trust God and get to know him more. What an opportunity we have in these hours. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you so much that the word of God is still rich. It still speaks to us. Father, we thank you so much that we can take it, take an illustration from the Old Testament and apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray, Father, that if there's been any idols in our heart that we have held up in place of you as the nation of Israel had, that, Father, you would use this time of transition and change in our world around us to pull down those idols and help us to focus on you. Or may that be the case this morning. Father, we love you. We love your son. We're so honored to be able to serve him this morning. May you bless our time. Uh, may it be beneficial beyond this moment. May it sink into our ears and our hearts and make a difference in the way we walk through life. It's in the precious name of Jesus we, say, we pray it. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Brother Randy's going to lead us another song. We just want to close out our time with a chorus. This, hopefully this would be an encouragement to you as you walk through your week. It's just called, His Strength is Purpose. His Strength is Perfect. Sorry. Let's sing together. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. He'll carry us when we can't carry on. Raised in His power, the weak become strong. His strength is perfect. His strength is
God bless you folks. It's been a joy to be with you this morning. We'll look forward to gathering again on Wednesday night through Facebook Live, and uh, we'll see you then. God bless.